0: Streaming from New York City, the superhero capital of the world, to, well, wherever you are, it's Matt and Brett Love Comics. This is one of your hosts, Matt. Brett is out this week putting together his big move. Best of luck to him. He's moving from a small apartment to an awesome apartment that has a washer and dryer and a dishwasher and a balcony and other cool stuff. If you don't live in New York City, all of those things probably don't seem like that big of a deal to you, but in New York, that is like living in a castle in the sky. It's like moving into Asgard, above Broxton. So, this week I'm going to do a short little episode uh, that I think I'm going to call The Secret Origin of Matt. A lot of times we talk about loving comics, and we sort of talk about what we fell in love with in comics in the past, and I thought it might be fun to just sort of discuss where I came from, how I got my love of comics, and what comics still mean to me now. I'm 33, and the first time I think I had ever read a comic, I was roughly three years old. I was big into G.I. Joe, like a lot of other kids my age, and I was out with my mom shopping, in Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania. I grew up outside Pittsburgh. We were shopping for shoes for her, and I remember that she picked up a copy of G.I. Joe number one for me from Triangle News, which was a newsstand that sold regular magazines and newspapers and not, as you would think, a store with information about geometry. So, I remember picking up G.I. Joe number one and flipping through it and realizing how cool it was to have another adventure featuring these characters that I had uh, already loved from television. And What really stood out to me was the cool art and the way that they would use lines and uh, find different ways to display action and movement without actually having action and movement. You're really just looking at still images. And it fascinated me and I thought that the characters were compelling. Of course, I didn't think they uh, I think at the time I probably would have described it as oh, rad! or something similarly. The point is that I fell in love with the book immediately and begged my mom for the next issue. Of course, the next issue wasn't out yet. This was also something that she found out when she went back to the newsstand to ask for the next issue. That's when we immediately learned the lesson of distribution of comics, which is that they come out monthly, and that if you want the next one, you have to be patient and wait. So I waited, and eventually... Uh, my grandmother, I believe, was kind enough to get me a subscription to G.I. Joe. And in addition to that, while I was waiting for the next issues of G.I. Joe, uh, my family was kind enough to purchase a couple more comic books for me. At the time, comics were only 60 cents, which in today's terms means that you could get, what, like six comics for the price of one issue of Infinity? Infinity? And the writing was a lot more dense. The art was a little more simple, I think. And the production quality was garbage compared to what we have today. So, you know, there are pluses and minuses to the pricing of comics today versus the prices of comics of yesteryear. Versus? Yeah, we'll go with versus. So the other comics I remember picking up when I was a kid were Marvel Tales Spider-Man books. And this, I think, is where my immediate love of Spider-Man came in. What I used to love to do is cut out the characters in the books and actually use them as action figures, because back then, there weren't really any Marvel action figures. There were mega superheroes from the 70s, but A, the 70s were old and garbage to a three-year-old, and B, uh, no one I knew had any Mego superheroes, so I had to make do with what I had, which were paper cutouts. I know a lot of you guys that are collectors are probably clutching your pearls right now to hear that I was uh, shredding these great old comics, but what did I know? I was three years old. If I knew anything about investing at three, I would have convinced my parents to take me to Wall Street and do some real investing. Because I also would have been able to convince my parents to do stuff like that. Because I'm, like, in this scenario, I'm, like, really, really smart, you guys. Like, baby geniuses smart. Anyhow, moving forward, I I wound up getting a subscription to, uh, I believe, Web of Spider-Man shortly after that. And by the time I was five, I had a subscription to Web of Spider-Man, G.I. Joe, and I believe He-Man. The Star Comics He-Man series, which came out uh, for roughly a year and had a pretty dark two-part ending to it comparatively. I mean, not dark compared to what they do with He-Man now, but at the time, the other stories were pretty much like, hey, look at this cool toy that you could buy outside of the book. And that's pretty much what the comic book was back then. So I kept reading these books and becoming more and more intrigued, and I remember picking up one-offs like like an Iceman mini-series where uh, only the last issue, too, so I don't have any idea what happened in the first three, but I remember the fourth issue being incredibly bizarre, where uh, Iceman is fighting a, a, in another dimension, I believe, against a Guy in uh, maroon hood, and he had uh, I believe servants named White Light and the Idiot, which I still think is a great name for a punk band, anyhow, moving through all of those times, what I really, really liked about all these stories is that they were high action and high adventure and uh, and that there was always a lot going on on these still pages there's so many different. Uh, really cool scenes. And I was especially drawn to Marvel. So I continued to, you know, pick up books here and there. And it was always fun for me. I always enjoyed sitting down and reading. I've always been a voracious reader. uh, But comics added the extra appeal of the visual element to me, because maybe I'm also slightly ADD. I don't know. But I know that when I would sit down to read, I would always prefer to pick up a comic book over a regular book. By the time I was about seven or eight years old, my mom had set up a routine with me that I loved, that she would go to the grocery store, and if I helped her shop, she would pick up a couple of comic books off the rack for me. And at that time... I was about eight years old. That was when I started to get into uh, Defalco Friends Thor, which I really enjoyed, and uh, uh, sadly had to follow up one of the greatest Thor runs, which was Walt Simonson's run on the book, which I, you know, had no idea about until uh, far, far later. And I literally started picking it up. I started picking up Thor with the fill-in issue that comes immediately after. Walt Simonson's run, which was a fill-in written by Stan Lee with art by a young Eric Larson. So I was picking up Thor at the time, and I also started picking up more of the Spider-Man books. I was picking up um, Amazing, Web, and Spectacular, all three at the same time. So those were my big books when I was a kid. I would read all three Spider-Man books. Um, I loved at the time I most loved Spectacular Spider Man because it had a very involved ongoing plot about Robbie Robertson being framed for murder or being accessory, being an accessory to murder. Um had a lot of sort of uh, mafia setups, and it slowly began to tie into the stories that were happening in Web of Spider-Man as well. Which to me was pretty cool and innovative, because I didn't know that books could really do that on a month-to-month basis. I had sort of known about Secret Wars when I was younger, because I'd also... Uh, picked up a couple of the action figures I'd picked up. Yeah, like I went out and paid for them. Um, I had received as gifts action figures from the Secret Wars line um, and the Superpower stuff, too. I loved uh, I loved all of those. I should say, you know what? Yeah, I, I want to say, too, because I feel like a lot of times we give short shrift to DC superhero books. I would pick up uh, DC stuff as well. Right around that time is when Byrne was relaunching Superman, and, um, you know, death in the family was happening in the Batman books and you had, uh, um, other great stuff like the new justice league. I picked up, I remember picking up the first issue of doom patrol as a young kid. And I think I read it three times cause I had no idea what was going on. That book was way over my head. Looking back now, uh, it was a pretty good story. But at the time, I was so confused, and the art was pretty realistic compared to what I usually like to read, which had a lot more of a cartoony element to it. So I was doubly confused by why all of these people looked photorealistic and were, were very mopey and very upset, and there wasn't really any action happening. I also picked up a lot, of, uh, a lot of Superman at the time because, hey, Superman's fun. Superman IV, The Quest for Peace was coming out at the time. I remember going to see that with my grandmother and picking up the comic book adaptation before we went to see the movie. And I promised that I wouldn't read it until after we watched the movie. So we watched the movie and then I read the adaptation and I, for the life of me, could not understand why there were things that happened in the book that didn't happen in the movie. Like, there's an entire plot involving uh, another test supervillain that Lex Luthor tries to create before he creates the Nuclear Man, and these are things that didn't happen in the film, and I was like, oh, this is really cool, why didn't it happen in that really shitty movie? And, you know, later you find out, uh, when you dive more into the process of making books and adapting things like that, that... You know, they get a working copy of the script before it's actually finished so they can start making the book, and there are things that get cut out of the script because, you know, you can't afford to do two supervillain super origin sequences in a single movie because you have X amount of budget. By the way, I uh, highly recommend, as a hilarious bad movie, Superman for the Quest for Peace. Um, the Nuclear Man is played by uh, an actor named Mark Pillow. Which I love because his name is a command, Mark Pillow. So anyhow, we're up to about me being eight years old, and I'm I'm you know excited by everything that's going on in the Spider-Man world most because I I'd, I'd latched on to Spider-Man as a kid when I was about uh, with all those old Marvel Tales books. I I just stuck with him. There was something cool about this guy because he was he wasn't muscular like the other superheroes. He was a skinny guy and even the problems that he had aside, I thought he was uh, uh, funny and uh, witty in a way that other superheroes weren't. You know, a lot of other superheroes are very straightforward, but this was a guy who was, when he put on the mask, he was free to be silly and sort of uh, play the superhero game by his rules. And I always loved that. And the, the writers that they had on the books at that time seemed to understand how to use all those elements to turn it into a, a, a great narrative. You know, you put someone like that in a dire situation to see what he's made of. And at the time, they were doing a really great job of actually dragging... Spidey's supporting cast through the muck. As I'd mentioned before, there was this long story about Robbie Robertson, and then you also had uh, the chameleon kidnapping and impersonating J. Jonah Jameson, um, selling the bugle to Thomas Fireheart, a.k.a. Fireheart, Firestone, a.k.a. the Puma. I like pronouncing the U in Puma that way, just because it's fun. Puma. And then, of course, in 88, you had the, uh, the, the arrival of Todd McFarlane, on the Spider books and I had uh, I'd picked up Amazing Spider-Man issue 300 and flipped through it because I'd never seen detail like that in a comic book and I'd never seen the draftsmanship or the the uh, the action the way that he had drawn it. Actually, I had. Uh, that's not true, but I didn't realize it at the time. still don't understand how artists went from one book to another. I never really read the credits boxes, I think, until McFarlane, um, because I had also been following Hulk uh, for about a year at that time. And I say follow, meaning that if I was able to pick up They, if they had one of the books on the stands at the grocery store, at a newsstand, I would, uh, I would do what I could to earn one by helping my parents any way that I could or begging. Sometimes begging worked. But McFarlane's style, as you know, is, is one of the most, uh, game changing styles that has ever come across comics. And reading all of that as a young kid, you, you, you just get the energy coming off of the page with him. Um, everything is, is exaggerated to whatever extreme and you know the car the, the draftsmanship and the, the, the cartooning has a quality to it that that stretches the realistic elements just to the breaking point and not so much that you feel like, okay, this is just a, like a completely insane person's interpretation of the world. I also right before that, I remember picking up Craven's Last Hunt, As a seven year old, I don't know if you, as an adult, if you're an adult and you have children and you want to get them into comics, I don't think I would necessarily recommend giving them that book at around that age. Uh, There were a lot of elements that I didn't understand in that story, of course. uh, I had to um, ask my parents what happened to Craven. Uh, and then they had to explain the concept of suicide to me, and then they were very concerned about what they had let their son read. The other thing that those books helped me with And something that I sort of used to talk my way out of, like, a lifetime ban of comics in the little household was that they continued to instill a new sense of vocabulary in me. I would constantly learn new words and actual words, not just made-up science terms, from the books and use them in my everyday life. And when I would do that, my parents were actually impressed and would ask me where I learned these words. And I told them that I learned them... From reading comic books. So for the next couple years, again, I, I was always like picking up books whenever I could, and if I missed it, I missed it. Um, and it wasn't until I was about 11 that I really, really started to uh, follow the art teams or, or a writer's name. In a book. Like I said, Peter David was a guy that uh Peter David and Todd McFarlane both were guys from that Hulk run that that I I started to notice their names in other places and would want to uh would want to read their stories if I saw their name somewhere else. And I was never disappointed uh when I started to do that. And it wasn't, like I said, until about ninety-one when I really started to pay attention to following uh creators across books. And of all things, it was the very first gimmick cover that really launched me into that, and that was Silver Surfer number fifty. I picked up a, uh, uh, I picked that up at the newsstand, and the first time that I saw it, I couldn't believe that they found a way to make the Silver Surfer actually silver on the cover of the book, and it was just so cool that it was cardstock and it had this foil embossed cover, and. You know, the, the page quality was brighter than the typical dull news stock that they used for certain books. So I got that, and of course that was also my introduction to Thanos. I say Thanos, because that's how I want to say it. I don't know if it's Thanos or Thanos, to be honest with you, and I've never bothered to check. I'm sure that is something that could be easily solved by looking it up online, but I refuse to check because he is Thanos to me. So, God, I sound like a crotchety old man saying that, don't I? Anyhow, Thanos was this badass character that in the story was made completely of stone and there was this argument on the moon. Between the Silver Surfer and Thanos, basically him telling the Surfer, I have the Infinity Gems and you better run. You go ahead and run and you tell all these superheroes that I'm coming because nothing is going to stop me from doing what I'm still planning to do. And there wasn't anything that could stop him. Well, there was, but by the end of the story. Anyways, this was the kickoff to Infinity Gauntlet, which was, for my money, like the coolest crossover that ever happened the... Sort of gathering of heroes storyline that happened there. I still, to this day, love that story, uh, I think, above pretty much any other crossover. So at that time, it was a pretty exciting time to be in comics. You had, uh, this is when I started paying attention to the credit boxes, and I'd see names like Jim Lee in the X Books, and, and Wils Portasio, and Rob Liefeld. Yes, Rob Liefeld. I was a huge Rob Liefeld fan when I was younger. Um, who else uh, Eric Larson was on the spider books after McFarlane left man oh Dale Keown on Hulk I really did gravitate around those books uh, John Romita Jr. who was uh, who was popping back up on books here and there and doing great work Walt Simonson on Fantastic Four which I just loved his run I think that run on Fantastic Four is highly underrated you should totally check it out if you never have Um, that's the, that also features the new FF story, which is a a three-parter drawn by Art Adams, which is great. You get that in the middle and then you get a lot of great Walt Simonson story and art surrounding it for, I think about 12 issues. It's great stuff. But this was around the time where I started to get more involved in the idea of the books by that. I mean, you know, following creators, trying to find out where they're going to go next. And that was always tough without the internet. And along comes wizard at the time, it was the coolest thing that I'd ever seen in my life. It was a book that showed you how much comic books were worth in the back and told you what was going to happen coming up in the front. I was always a kid I was already a kid who loved to read Sports Illustrated and WWF the magazine and other magazines like that. So knowing that there was now a magazine dedicated to one of my other favorite Hobbies in the World, which was comic books, uh, blew my mind. Could not believe that this was out there, and it was clearly marketed to kids like me that were in the exact situation that I am describing. I ate up wizard-like candy. Now, around this time, I want to say, too, uh, um, my love of comics has always been there. I'll say. Um, but the amount of books that I'd pick up or how dedicated I'd be to picking stuff up month to month would wax and wane dependent. I would miss a couple months and then just pick it back up. It wasn't a big deal to me. But right around that time, I, I think that what really solidified my love of comics, like I think up to that point, I enjoyed them. But what really solidified it as a love um, is is something that happened outside of that. And that was that my parents split up. And if you're a kid coming from a broken home, you realize that in a situation like that, you sort of, uh, you, 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 you don't understand what's happening. You know, you're, you're upset, you're sad, you're depressed. Um, and my I stayed with my mom, and she didn't handle it very well at all. She still doesn't handle it very well um, decades after the fact. But that's neither here nor there. The point that I'm trying to make is that uh, when I would kind of want to escape, comics were literally my escapism. They were this thing that I had that uh, that were mine. No one else in my family collected comic books. None of my friends really read comic books at that time. I would try to talk about superheroes, and no, no one really cared. And that's okay. Uh, but it was my thing. And I think that that, I think the fact that no one else really knew about them or like, I just didn't have a, a circle of friends that were into them, um, made it more my thing, which made it more special to me. Um, and it kind of just pulled me farther and farther into this. I feel like I have learned more moral lessons from the super heroics of, of Spider-Man and the the moral standing of of, of the X Men, and uh, and and other things like that, than I have from a lot of other places that you think that you would draw those inspirations from as a child. But I would constantly allow myself to be pulled into these stories. It was a it was a great way to sort of escape the shitty situation that I had in my home. And ever since then, I, I think that I, I've always loved comic books more than I've enjoyed them, if that makes sense. I mean, I still enjoy them, and I'll always enjoy them, but like, I, I will always... I don't think I'll ever not come back to comics or ever go fully away from them. Um, and because I love them so much, I think it's why I can respect them as an art form the way that I do. Wow, that sounds really pretentious, but I think it's true. It's a way for me... It allows me to look at it and view it as a storytelling medium, not just a a genre, you know, comics aren't a genre. Superheroes are a genre, but comics are like film. Film isn't a genre. Film is a, a storytelling medium. And it's, I think why I'll always defend them like you, like you would for someone that you care deeply about or something that you care deeply about. I love comics. It's in the name of our show and it's, You know, I think it's deeply ingrained in me at this point. Like I said, I'm 33 at this point and still reading comics. I don't think I'll ever not read comics. And that is, to me, awesome. That sounds great. I would love to be in a retirement home at 75. Well, I wouldn't love to be in a retirement home. I would like to think that I could save enough money that I can live peacefully, not in a retirement community, but at my own home. And my point is, I'd love to be an old man reading comics. I'd love to be an old guy sitting on a bench in Central Park reading. Um, at that point, I'll probably have a holographic Kindle or you know a three D iPad, whatever it'll be, um, flipping through just more great stories. Anyhow, uh, as I as I moved through high school, I, I started to meet more friends that actually did read comics. This is something that I literally did not know existed, was other people reading comics. Um, I met one of my best friends, Jason, on the school bus when I was around 11, 12 years old uh, because he had a Jim Lee X-Men t-shirt on. And I didn't want to talk about anything but that I was obsessed with it, and he and I bonded over that shirt, and we have been friends since then as Jason and I bonded as friends, we also bonded over a lot of comic books, a lot of, uh, a lot of X-Men in the early nineties, as you would expect a lot of Spider-Man with the clone saga. I will defend the clone saga. We're going to cover that clone saga someday on here. And I am going to stand my ground on that. Um, I cannot in good conscience defend how long it went, but there are great elements in that story. um, so, so Jason and I, I finally found like a compatriot in comics, and my area also finally got its very first comic book store. Um, there was one, there were a couple of near a couple nearby in Pittsburgh and other areas, but my parents would always tell me it was too far to go. Now, a store called Mister Jake's Funny Books opened up right up the road. In Rochester, Pennsylvania, and I was thrilled to death. I had never been in a comic book store before, a store only dedicated to comics, and I think that I spent at least a half an hour in the store the first time, and it was maybe 400, 500 square feet. It was not big at all, and it was just wall-to-wall comics, and my mom was creeped out by it because it was this dingy little store, and the guy that ran it, um, Jake, was this long haired guy who was a total metal dude um, that had, you know, piercings and tattoos and stuff like that. Uh, going to a comic book store for the first time was almost like a religious experience for me because it felt like I had finally arrived in a place that I had always been dreaming of. <laughs> Oh, the orgiastic joy in my voice as I describe that. So, getting to Mr. Jake's Funny Books for the first time and actually seeing what it was like to be in an actual comic book store that had knowledge of shipping dates and when things would arrive and what was coming up next and stuff like that was easily one of the most formative experiences for me because it really... Um, helped me kind of, it helped me discover new books, independent books, um, stuff that I would have never picked up otherwise. Um, when I was older, when I was around 17, I came in one time and I asked Jake for a recommendation, uh, because I just didn't, I had some money to burn and I didn't have any books that I felt were particularly compelling at the time. The Spider-Man books were, uh, um, they were reaching the, the final chapter storylines that I just didn't care about, and the X-Men books were sort of in a, uh, in a, t- a creative toss-up. Everything was just kind of in a place that I wasn't really uh, particularly excited about. So Jake recommended to me what I now consider my favorite all-time book, Preacher, and golly Bob Howdy, that was, uh, that was an amazing experience reading that book. But again, that's something that I never would have, Lord knows I never would have picked that up on the newsstand. Um, but having someone who had some knowledge and could tell me that, oh, this thing that you read about in Wizard is actually good, you definitely should pick it up. Um, I'm always a guy who will take a personal recommendation over uh, over a review any day of the week. Uh, moving up through the 90s, I, I moved away to college, and when I got to college, I discovered that there were a lot of people that read comic books, and I completely was not in a uh, in as big a minority as I thought I was, or small a minority as I thought I was. Um, in fact, there are tons of people out there that love reading comics, that love superhero books, that love um, indie books, that love only black and white stuff. Um, at this point, I had I, I felt like I had a pretty decent. Uh, experience size with like independent books and regular books. Like I had um, picked up some of Brian Bendis's Jinx at that time, which were like the coolest crime books I'd ever seen. Some of Dave Lapham's Stray Bullets, which I wound up going back and reading years later. And boy, the first part of that storyline is, is great. It's just sort of, I don't know. That's a story for another time. <laughs> I see what I did there. Anyhow, picking up a lot of like crime stories also picking up some black and white comedy stuff milk and cheese is still one of my all-time favorite uh comedy books that book is just amazing of course quantum and woody came along in the interim in there and blew my mind um that was laugh out loud funny to me as a teenager um i seriously still can't recommend that book enough um, I remember when I went in and picked that up that was when I was around 16 years old and uh, and and flipping through it and not couldn't believe that this guy got a book to be this funny when other books that are supposed to be humorous or funny could not even hold a candle to it so by the time I got to college, like I said, I had a lot of experience with all these other great books. And I had a great comic store at Penn State called uh, the Comic Swap. And the guys that worked there always loved to talk comics. Um, there was always a community of people hanging out there. They had couches in the back where people would kind of sit around and, and, I don't know, open up their magic decks they would, uh, people would do RPG uh, campaigns there, stuff like that. It was really great, and it, it really drove home that, you know, this isn't an isolated experience. Um, you don't have to be alone in your love of comics. And um, though I had said before that that's what I really, you know, that's what really made it feel like it was mine when I was a kid that no one else was doing it. Um, because that's always sort of like cultural cash when you're a kid, right? Like, Oh, no one else is doing it. So I must be super cool. Um, (laughs) make no mistake. I didn't think that last part about myself for sure. But, you know, as you get older, you do want to sort of share these experiences with other people or at least find out that you're not a crazy person and, you know, going into college and finding out that there are other people that have these interests that you do was was why, eye-opening and also um, liberating in a way that I didn't realize that it would be, finding out that other people share this passion for comic books that you do. And I made a lot of good friends in college um, through comics, and, and that was really exciting. Um, once I graduated from school, I, I had a... Uh, had a pretty heavy reading habit um, that I had to curtail down because of finances, and through uh, through the next couple years, I didn't. Uh, I picked up some books, but I just didn't have a passion for anything the way that I had before. Um, I liked JMS. I liked the beginning of JMS's Spider Man run. Um, I liked the start of Grant Morrison's um, run on X-Men, but by that time, they were all sort of ending, and they all just felt like, I don't know, I was exhausted by a lot of the books that I had been reading, and everything at that point was becoming decompressed, everything had to be a six-part storyline, and uh, when you don't have that much money and you're right out of college, uh, knowing that you're going to have to wait six months to finish one story, and that you have to keep collecting all those books across that time, does not seem like a, a, a bright prospect to you. Uh, pretty much stuck with Mark Wade's Fantastic Four through that time, which was just brilliant. And of course, I kept picking up Spider-Man. I, I liked it, but I, a lot of times I felt like I was picking up Spidey out of obligation and not out of actual desire to, uh, to, to read the books themselves, which... Um, now that I live in New York and don't have that much space, is not a thing that I feel like I can do anymore. (laughs) Uh, Space is a priority over responsibility to a comic book storyline. Again, it goes back to, you know, you have a dishwasher and a washer-dryer in an apartment in New York City, and you may be uh, subject to an investigation by the police because you may be the kingpin of crime that brings us up to when I did move to New York and, uh, and what really pulled me back in once and for all, again, I, I had moved to New York. Um, one of my best friends, Alex was, I was crashing on his futon, looking for a job, feeling depressed and went to w- one of the coolest comic book stores in the world, midtown comics, right in times square in New York city. Um, it's always busy there. It is always busy there. There are always people from every walk of life. And that was what finalized the deal for me. And that's what I knew that I would always be a comic book reader. Is that I would see lawyers. And I would see accountants in addition to college kids and children. And, you know, I would see uh, I would see bus drivers. I would see all these people... That were professional-looking people that weren't the sort of stereotype of a comic book fan of an adult comic book fan that you that you see and read about, you know, pretty much everywhere. When someone wants to make fun of a comic book fan, I saw these people who seemed capable and put together picking up their 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 weekly uh, their weekly books, and that was that was when I realized, you know, uh, that comics were a part of me just as much as comics were a part of them. Um, It's something that they clearly grew up with or clearly had a passion about, and it doesn't turn you into the stereotype of something, and it doesn't turn you into the stereotype of what people consider to be a fan of that genre, and it doesn't turn you into someone who is... You know, uh, uh, immature, it doesn't turn you into a person that, that can't handle the rest of being an adult in the 21st century, which I feel like are all things that I always see, uh, uh, or at least my family would even say, about, um, about reading comics and about continuing to invest yourself in, you know, superhero stories. Uh, they're fun that's why I invest myself in them. They're fun. I've learned a lot from them. I care about these characters. It's. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, but yeah, that uh, they, going to Midtown when I first moved to the city is what made me realize that, um, that I'll always be a comic fan. Comics are always going to come forward with me no matter what I do, where I go. And I love the medium. Um, I'm a fan first. And... Because I love it so much, I, I think i 've used that word a lot here. Um, comics were something that helped me get through some shitty times in my life. Um, there were several others that i didn 't even bring up here. I brought up the the, the main tipping point because i realized that recently is that that it was the escapism that I used to to get away from the shitty environment that I was currently growing up in. Um, it was emotionally damaging. And this was a way for me to kind of get away from that and and watch people try to um, not always succeed, but at least try to live to a a certain standard that they had set for themselves in their lives because they're superheroes, and they have uh, a responsibility to to be a certain way to the public at large. So that sort of brings me to where we are now. That is my secret origin. In comics, This may be the most self-indulgent episode of Matt and Brett Love Comics ever, but that's okay. I also want to apologize for the lateness of this episode. That is entirely my fault. Um, We will be back on track next week with a new book club pick and a new guest. Um, We are locking those down right now, so I do not want to promise anything that we may not be able to deliver. Check Twitter or Facebook. This week to find out uh, what we will be reading and with whom we will be reading it. We'll announce it there. Um, thank you so much for listening to me ramble on for the last 45 minutes or so about my history of comics. Um, if you want to tell us what your history of comics was, what got you into it, what keeps you in it, what do you love about the, about the medium, uh, hit us up. On our social media, you can go to facebook.com/theylovecomics, slash talk to us about it there. You can um find all of our social media presences under the Who Loves Comics tab on our website at mattandbrettlovecomics.com. As you know, we are a weekly show. If you ever want to pick up anything, um comics, shoes, cleaning supplies, a cat, whatever you can purchase on Amazon, why not stop by mattandbrettlovecomics.com and click through our Amazon link from there? That way, what happens is you wind up spending the same amount of money, but Amazon somehow kicks a few pennies back to us. It's going to help us keep the lights on and help us keep putting out a a show for free every week. We love doing this, and we love hearing from you guys. Um, You are, as always, our best mouthpiece for the show, so if you like what you heard today, if you like what you ever hear on the show, tell a friend, uh, put, put your earbuds in their ear, Get them to download the show. Um, Just, you know, spread the love. That's all we want to see. We want to see people spreading the love. Um, We want people who love comics to get other people to love comics, and they in turn love comics. And it's a pyramid scheme of love, you guys. That's what this is about. It's a pyramid scheme of love where nobody gets paid, but everyone feels good. So until next week, uh, thank you so much again for listening. And thank you to our producer, Ben Rahib. You are the secret origin of Matt and Brett Love Comics. <laughs> All right, that one's a stretch. Uh, we'll see you next week with a new episode of Matt and Brett Love Comics. Thanks again so much for listening. Take care.